All right, well, let's, um, let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Timothy 3. And uh, we're going to look through uh, look at verses 8 through 13 tonight. Um, this is part 2 of um, talking about deacons. So we're talking about the offices of the church, in there, which there are two, pastors and deacons. And we spent a couple weeks on pastors. And then last week we looked at Acts chapter 6 and what it has to say about the first deacons there in the book of Acts. And um, <clears throat> tonight we're going to look at uh, what Paul has to say to Timothy about the qualifications for deacons, just like we looked at the qualifications for pastors a couple of weeks ago. So uh, we saw in Acts chapter 6 that um, the office of deacon uh, was uh, created out of necessity, right? that there was a problem in the church. Uh, a certain group of widows in the church were being overlooked. Um, in the daily distribution of food. And so they appointed um, godly, spirit-filled, wise men like Stephen and Philip and others um, to tend to that duty, not only because taking care of widows is very important, but also because um, the widows not being taken care of equally was causing uh, disruption and disunity in the church. And so... Um, Deacons um, exist, are, are appointed and recognized by the church um, to, to do those two things, to take, take care of the practical needs of the church, the physical, tangible needs of the church, um, as well as to help preserve the unity of the church. And like we saw last time, that doesn't limit them to those things, so to speak. Uh, Stephen preaches in Acts 7, and Philip <laughs> preaches in Acts 8. Um, it doesn't mean that pastors don't do physical, tangible service stuff or don't need to worry about the unity of the church, um, but they each have their uh, specific uh, roles and, and emphases of what they are called to do. Um, and just like we saw last time in Acts 6, uh, there was sort of a short list of qualifications there. Uh, they were supposed to be men full of the Holy Spirit and, and so on. Um, here we get a, a more expanded list of the qualifications for deacons. And um, as we look at it, you'll see it is very, very similar to the qualifications for pastors. I mean, like, almost exactly the same. The only really significant difference is that um, pastors are supposed to be able to teach, it says, and that's not required of deacons. It doesn't mean that they're not able to teach, but they don't have to be able to teach in order to be a deacon. Obviously, you have to be able to teach to be a pastor because that's a significant part of uh, your job, right? Your responsibility, your vocation. But um, for deacons, it's not, right? So you have some deacons who will teach Sunday school and some deacons who don't. You know, some who are gifted in teaching and even preaching and some who aren't. And it, that, but that's not a requirement one way or the other. So here's what it does say. First uh, Timothy 3, 8 through 13. It says, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless." Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. 
Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, if you're ever, you know, on a pastor search committee or you have a friend who's on a pastor search committee and you want to know where to start, you always tell them first Timothy three, right? And it's the same way whenever a church is considering ordaining uh, some new deacons, right? These are the qualifications. These are the things that we're supposed to look for. Um, We don't have to wonder, you know, about the job description. We don't have to wonder about the character qualifications. God gives those to us in the scripture. And it says right there that deacons likewise, which again, I said it's the qualifications for deacons are almost exactly the same as the qualifications for pastors. The pastors qualifications are laid out in verse one through seven. And then in verse eight, it says deacons likewise. So just like the pastors, in the same way as the pastors, here's what is required of the deacons. <clears throat> so their qualifications are similar. Um, they uh, must be dignified, right? So these need to be uh, serious men, not in the sense that they can't ever have fun, you know, or laugh or anything like that, but um, they're people of good character. Um, a word we don't use very much that I think. Um, can be uh, appropriately described this as is venerable, right? Someone that you kind of like, you, you venerate, so to speak, like you, you admire them, you look up to them, they're, there's a, a certain um, weight to their presence, you know, like you, these are, these are um, men that people um, look up to. So dignified, not double-tongued, um, that means you're not two-faced, right? You're not insincere. Um, maybe another way to say that would be they're, they're not talking out of both sides of their mouth. They don't talk one way at church and another way somewhere else where you never know what they're going to say. Um, uh, another possible translation that uh, uh, you might see in a, in a note at the bottom of your Bible is uh, devious in speech, right? So this is it needs to be somebody whose speech is dignified, whose speech is reliable, trustworthy. Um, <clears throat> then it says, not addicted to much wine. That's pretty obvious, right? It doesn't mean you can't ever drink anything ever, but it does mean you can't be a drunkard, right? You can't be addicted to drinking a lot of wine all the time. Not greedy for dishonest gain. And so not somebody who's uh, constantly trying to figure out to get something that doesn't belong to them, that they haven't worked for, they haven't earned. Um, <clears throat> makes sense that that would be uh, a concern, especially if the you know the first deacons are put in charge essentially of a essentially essentially of a of a benevolence ministry, right? That they're they're distributing food that usually involves uh, collecting money and, uh, using that money to get the food that you would then distribute. And so, um, if these men are going to be handling, um, funds that belong to the church, then if they're the kind of person who likes to take what isn't theirs, that's not going to go well, right? So they need to be people who, men who you can trust with money, right? Um, they must hold verse nine, the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. <clears throat> now, what does that mean? Uh, it can mean a couple different things. Um, 
one thing it could, one way we could interpret that is that they don't, these are not men who um, hold the gospel loosely. Like they're not really sure about it. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll serve in this church just like I would serve in the Rotary Club, but I'm not really sure about all the stuff y'all are saying about Jesus. Um, that's not the kind of person that God wants us to look for when we're talking about deacons. Somebody who holds the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Like, I don't have any reservations about saying, I believe the gospel. You know, I don't, I, there's no hang-ups for me where I'm like, ah, I don't, I'm not sure if that's what I believe. Um, even though that they're not required to be teachers in the church, they still need to be people who are all in in the fundamentals of the faith, right? That they believe in uh, God the Father, and we believe in God the Son, and we believe in the Holy Spirit, and and, and, and so forth. Um, yes, people that are grounded, right? That are that are convinced um, of the faith, right? Even though there's some mystery there, and doesn't mean that you never have any doubts or questions or anything like that. But this is who you are. You're all you're all in. So um, that's one way to interpret it. <clears throat> Another way uh, to interpret it would be to say that they live a life that is consistent with the faith. Right? So they hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, meaning um, they live like Jesus wants them to live. And when they fail, as we all do, they confess that sin to the Lord and receive forgiveness and move forward. They're not holding to the faith with one hand and, and then running after ungodly things with their other hand and trying to hold them both in tension. You, you're not going to have a clear conscience if you're doing that, right? You're going to be cut up about the fact that you know you're supposed to be doing this, but you're always doing this instead, um, and you're, you're uh, again, you're going to be, you don't, have, you don't have a clear conscience when you're living that way. Clear conscience doesn't mean that you never do anything wrong. Clear conscience means when you do something wrong, you know what to do with it. You know where to take it, right? And um, you, you know the forgiveness that God receives when, or that God gives you when you um, come to him with your sin. So they need to hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Um, verse 10 says, let them also be tested first. Now that's not something that they said that Paul said about pastors, but this is sort of a way of throwing that back in, because <laughs> he says also, let them also be tested, kind of saying, by the way, you need to test your pastors first, right? Um, and, also, and then you need to test deacons. So don't just, um, you know, uh, we're not hiring, but you know, don't just hire somebody off the street, so to speak. This needs to be somebody you know. This needs to be somebody that you have observed, um, somebody that you have examined, somebody that you have tested, right? That you, you know, before, you don't, in other words, you don't say, hey, we'd like for you to be a deacon, ordain this guy as a deacon, and then start watching him and go, ooh, wish we hadn't put that guy in that spot. That was probably not a good idea. He's not who we thought he was. It needs to be somebody that you have already tested, observed, you know, watched, and you already know what kind of person that they are, and then you can uh, set them apart uh, as a deacon, right? So uh, you don't just take volunteers. You know, who wants to be a deacon? Okay, great. Come on in. You know, you these are people that the church needs to observe and choose and set apart, knowing that they meet these qualifications. So let them be tested first. 
Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Now, that's a word that we often misunderstand uh, because we want to we think that means perfect. It doesn't mean perfect or we wouldn't have any deacons or any pastors. <laughs> so uh, that's, not, that's not what Paul means. What he means when he says they prove themselves blameless, that means this guy right now is a person of good character and there are no major flaws in his life that concern us. You know, um, doesn't mean he's perfect. Doesn't mean he never does anything wrong. If you watch somebody long enough, you're going to see him sin. You're going to, you're going to hear him sin. You know, it's not talking about perfection, right? But they are men of good character, right? Um, they, uh, and, and when you think about it, we almost none of us, and, and in some sense this is healthy, but almost none of us think of ourselves this way, right? Because we know ourselves too well. Almost none of us, if somebody said, raise your, raise your hand in this room if you're blameless, almost none of us are going to raise our hands. But if, in, if instead, like if we had the whole church here tonight and, and we said, okay, silent, silent ballot, uh, I want you to write down on a piece of paper the people in the church that you'd say you think they have blameless character. You can think of some people, right, that you would say, I, I know that guy's not perfect, or I know that lady's not perfect, but, you know, but when I think of what a mature Christian ought to look like, that's, that's the kind of person I'm thinking about, you know. Um, that's what Paul means, right? Not perfect, but of, of good character, good reputation. No major uh, flaws in their character. Uh, <clears throat> then, okay, here's where it gets really interesting, verse 11. It says, their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanders, and so on. Okay, now the reason why I say it's really interesting is because in the ESV, the translation I'm using, the first word in verse 11 is there. In the Greek, there is not there. There is no word for there. There's just the word that's translated wives, and the tricky thing about that word is, depending on the context, sometimes it means women, and sometimes it means wives. A lot of times, especially in the ancient world, but still today too, women are wives, right? So that word can do double duty, but it can have slightly different meaning. So here's the question. Is he talking about the wives of deacons, or is he talking about women who are deacons? That's a hard question to answer. And um, it's, it's not as easy even, I mean, some of us, I think our, our knee-jerk reaction would be, I've never heard of that before, and so that's probably, you know, that's probably like a left side of theology, like a liberal-leaning, you know, position. Have women deacons. That just sounds really foreign um, but, uh, like today I was, I was double checking this and I had this in my notes from before and, and I wanted to be sure I knew what I was talking about. Um, there are very few pastors alive today, I would say, who are more conservative, uh, theologically than John MacArthur, right? If you know who John MacArthur is, um, and he 
uh, I mean, he's down the line, straight shooter, uh, you know, super, super conservative guy. Um, and he seems to believe that this is about women deacons. Um, so um, it's a difficult question. I actually, I uh, studied, I took a class on the pastoral epistles when I was in seminary, and I wrote a paper on this right here. Um, and I can't remember for sure which side I came down on. I think I, I think I argue that it was about the wives of deacons. That's still what I, what I, the side I inclined uh, to agree with, and, I, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But it's not automatically obvious, right? That that's that it's about one or the other. It can mean both. It could mean either one. There are good arguments to be made for both of those. Right, there's you can't if someone says I think it's about women deacons, you can't say, Well, that's, you're just not reading the Bible carefully. If you can read it carefully and make a case either direction. Now the reason why I think it's about the wives of deacons and not about women deacons is because um, he seems to in verse twelve go right back to talking about male deacons. Right, so it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to give you a few verses on the qualifications for male deacons and then say, okay, if you're going to have women deacons, here's what they need to do. Oh, but wait, let me go back to the male deacons. That, that doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, Paul could have done that, but that, Paul's a better writer than that, right? So um, that, I think, is, for me, the, the best argument for why he's talking about the wives of deacons. Um, but, but someone who says, well, I think it's talking about women deacons, um, one of the things they might say, I was looking at this this afternoon, one of the things they might say is, well, if it's giving qualifications for the wives of deacons, why doesn't it give qualifications for the wives of pastors? And why are wives supposed to be sober-minded and pastors but not deacons? It says likewise, so that kind of yeah, yeah. It's kind of lumping them in with the same thing. Yeah, yeah. So it's and and they'll they'll say um, they might say, well, you know, if you look at um, Romans sixteen verse one, it talks about this woman named Phoebe, who most of our translations say um, is a servant of the church, but it's it's the word deacon. That's what deacon means is a servant, right? So some people say, well, Phoebe was a deacon and she was a woman. Right, so it's not the main thing I want to say is it's not a question of liberal or conservative. Like, do you take the Bible seriously or not? That's not the question. Um, <clears throat> the question just is, do you think he's talking about the wives of deacons, or do you think he's talking about women who are deacons? And there are conservative, Bible-believing people who disagree on that question. That, that's all I'm trying to point out. I think he's talking about the wives of deacons, um, and it says they too must be dignified. Right, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things, and it makes a whole lot of sense that he would say that because um, deacons' wives know a whole lot of things that um, other people in the church might not know. You know, they have information about that their husbands are who are deacons are, you know. The original deacons, they're, they're being sent out into a problem zone, right? you got a group of people in the church who have complained loud enough that their 
widows are not being taken care of, that it's risen all the way to the apostles, and the apostles have addressed it. And when these men go out to take care of these widows, they're probably going to hear things that don't need to be repeated, right? But you share pretty much everything with your wife. So if you have a deacon who's ministering to people in the church and is going to hear when there's grumbling and stuff, you know, sometimes the deacons might hear it before it ever makes it to the pastor. Right? And they know stuff that's going on and their wives are with them some of the time and, and they're going to know too. And so uh, the wives of deacons also need to be respectable, trustworthy, godly women, right? Um, so uh, their wives must be dignified, not slanderers, right? Sober-minded, faithful in all things. And then he goes back to the deacons, <clears throat> uh, back to talking about the men. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife. Same thing he said about pastors. They'd be faithful uh, in their marriage, managing their children and their own households well. Right? How are you going to take care of a church, which is a great big family, if you can't take care of your own <laughs> normal-sized family? Right? And then he says, verse 13, For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Um, now what does he mean deacons gain a good standing for themselves? Um, I think the first thing he means um, is that they gain a good standing in the church. Right? If you serve as a deacon and you serve well, people are going to look up to you, right? That you, um, you earn um, a certain measure of respect even beyond what you already had when you were appointed as a deacon, right? Um, and so uh, you have a good reputation um, in the church. Um, he could even be going beyond that to say, um, you know, we're, we're all um, hoping to hear, wanting to hear the Lord say to us on the last day, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, if you have served as a deacon, served as a servant, and, and done that well in the church, then aren't you gonna, isn't that what you're going to hear, right? Well done, good and faithful servant. Is that a way to describe that would be gaining a good standing? Not talking about like you know, earning favor with God or anything like that, but just that, you know, getting to hear that you did a good job, well, well done, You've, you have served well in the place that I have placed you. So a good, uh, good standing for themselves, and also, he says, great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. How does serving as a deacon increase your confidence in the faith faith that is in Christ Jesus. Well, I mean, I, I think he's talking here about <clears throat> the, uh, the increasing assurance that you have when you serve in a Christian capacity in a faithful way. Right? When you devote your life to serving uh, the church in whatever capacity, right? deacon, Sunday school teacher, pastor, you know, administrator, whatever, um, when you are faithful and you serve selflessly, um, your, it, your assurance increases, right? I mean, when you're doing what you know God has called you to do and you're devoting yourself to that, um, it's in those seasons usually that you have fewer doubts 
about yourself and your relationship with the Lord. It's when you're doing off doing other things and trying to ignore what God wants you to do and, and all that that you ha- tend to have more questions about, do I really belong to the Lord and whatever. And I'm not saying you don't ever have questions if you're doing the right thing. That's not what I'm saying. But when you are doing what you know God has called you to do, um, then that tends to increase your assurance, increase your confidence um, in the faith. So, um, like I said, very much the same as what Paul has to say about pastors. Um, and, and, and one other thing I'll say about qualifications for pastors and for deacons. I can't remember if I said this when we talked about the qualifications for pastors. But basically... Um, aside from the qualification uh, for pastors to be able to teach, basically all Paul is saying is these need to be good, godly men. He's not saying that to be perfect. He's not saying they have to ha- have achieved some like second level, you know, of Christian maturity that's not accessible to everybody. Um, he's saying they need to be good, godly men who are filled with the Spirit, who are mature, who are growing, and because they're mature and growing, they have um, respect, and they are gentle with people, and they're patient, and uh, they tend to make good decisions, and when people look at them, they think, you know, I wouldn't mind being like that guy. I wouldn't mind my son watching that guy and trying to imitate him. I wouldn't mind, you know, these are the kind of people that we want other people to want to be like. Um, so it's not, we tend to, um, we, tend, we, we need to hold pastors and deacons to an appropriately high standard, right? But sometimes we can... Um, overdo that, right? Sometimes we can completely neglect that and sometimes we can overdo it and think, oh, if this guy's a pastor or if this guy's a deacon, uh, then that means, you know, he's never going to do anything wrong or he's never going to say anything wrong or he has to be held to some like ultra high impossible standard that nobody can live up to. That's not what Paul's saying. I mean, almost everything on that list is something that you would hope that any Christian would do. You know? Um... So um, it's important to kind of keep that balance and keep that in mind that we don't neglect uh, these qualifications, but also that we don't um, overdo them and make them unreasonable and higher than they're meant to be.